0: Hey everybody, thanks for tuning back in to the podcast here. Uh, my name is Jason, here with Brian as always. Um, we've got another episode for you guys. Uh, we actually just finished a conversation with a good friend of ours named Tommy, who's a pretty awesome dude, and we were talking about everything that's going on. He's in college right now. He's got an interesting perspective on how that's affecting him and his classmates, but we actually got to talking about sovereignty, authority, and the law, and how that applies to everything that we're seeing go around right now. And uh, Brian was sharing some things that he he noticed in the story of Esther that honestly just completely shifted my perspective on this. I've I've been in the church my entire life, and I've read the story of Esther multiple times. I've never seen this perspective and this paradigm laid out to understand what it actually looks like to have a sovereign person that has authority, that authority is given, and how the law of that authority affects the people under it. And honestly, you guys need to listen to this. This is amazing stuff. So we're going to jump right in. Brian, we were talking about Esther. What was standing out to you this last week?
1: I think it's interesting in the midst of everything going on, I've been just really pondering and looking at it and how things have affected me, how things have affected my friends, my community, uh, living in a different country, um, how how that is affected where you're, you're not a citizen of the country, you're a guest and just all the dynamics that are playing into that. And it's so easy for our mind to become fearful. It, it's easy for our mind to... Uh, want to take in all of the the crisis moments. And the thing that's really standing out to me that's been uh, going on is, who are you in the midst of a crisis? And as a Christian, knowing that my citizenship is in heaven and I'm under a different kingdom, it doesn't mean I don't operate within the kingdoms and and abide by the structures of the kingdoms that already exist, but who am I now in the midst of that? And how should my response be, and more than just my response, what, what should my activity look like? What 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 has been given to me that, that would free me from the pressures of the mental squeezing that wants to go
0: on? And again, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode. So if you haven't listened to that one, definitely go back and do it because there is context to this. We're not trying to say here's what you should or shouldn't do in the middle of a crisis. What we're trying to get at is how to even ask that question honestly for yourself to get an answer internally with you and God because everyone's in a different situation. And if we try to look at responses to things and think that if we pick the right response, then we're acting the best way, we are kind of have it backwards a bit. You've got to know who you are first. You've got to know who God is and what he's calling you to do, what he wants you to do and how he wants you to act in a situation. So again, this isn't about... Hey, we've got the right answers for how many times you should go to the store today or not go to the store, how many items you should buy or not buy. We're kind of past that at this point. But what we want to look at is who are you in the crisis because that will determine your response and how you feel about it as well. I mean, we'd all want to feel more secure about what's going on and about how we're going to handle this situation here. So that needs to be the
1: primary question. And it it goes even more to just the virus and getting sick it it's affecting every aspect of the world the world is affected yep. on every single factor whether it's economic whether it's political whether it's um uh sovereignties of nations or w- whatever Th- this thing is affecting such a grander scale of scope um that's what i'm saying i i think we we some people aren't so much worried about the virus but whether i'm going to work tomorrow some people aren't worried, worried about the virus, but is my retirement going to be there? The, these are major players. And what is our political system going to look like in a year or not look like in a year? No matter how you believe about that, there's just some real uh, different dynamics that are, that are going on. And even more so, if someone were able to give you a step-by-step manual
0: on how to navigate this particular crisis, that would be fantastic. Or, you know the next week or month or year, however long this lasts. That would be fantastic for this crisis. But when the next one hits, and another one will hit in your lifetime, because that's how the world works, when the next one hits, you're going to be at the same place you are. You're still going to feel lost because you don't have a manual. You're going to need someone to provide you with those step-by-step instructions. But what if you actually had something in you and you developed this perspective to where no matter what the crisis was, you had a baseline to, to start with. You had an understanding of who you are and who your father is that can help guide you through it because the specifics are going to change. The circumstances are going to be different. So it's not about uh, you know a five-step process to be safe during the coronavirus. It's about discovering how to handle difficult
1: situations. We'll get into Esther in just a second, but I wanted to throw out like my son, he's having to read Where the Red Fern Grows. And I thought it was interesting in a generation that was coming out of World War II, almost all the stories that were written to young people and boys and the coming into manhood, at the end of the story, whether it's Old Yeller, whether it's Where the Red Fern Grows, whether it's the Black Stallion, there's a death at the end. Like we always like the, the happy endings, but the endings of all these always make you cry. But the picture that was being said was love, give, live, and loss is going to happen But how are you going to be when that happens? And it's almost like a preparation for manhood. And I'm not here to say a doomsday thing or anything like that. I'm just saying there's a different character development that was being done in an era following World War II of a different way of thinking versus what we have now. And I think the book of Esther actually really portrays this in a powerful way of something that we've missed. And we talk about, well, God's sovereign. He's just doing this. God's using this for... For whatever and God, we, God can use anything. Um, he uses our dumb mistakes all the time, but it it doesn't mean that He's necessarily authoring it. But how do we how do we put that into perspective? How do we pray? How do we how do we uh, what's our baseline of what we're actually praying for? As if God's withholding it and causing it, or maybe God doesn't care, so I'm on my own. I mean, we have all these different thoughts all over the place, and I kind of uh, as I was looking through Esther, I thought it brought such a clarity to some of this perspective and, and how it operated. And it really fits with what's what's going on, but it will fit with any situation. And even as a Christian, the life that, that can be lived. For those who don't know the story, a little brief, brief background is King Asherus. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. He was the ruler over Persia. They had 127 provinces. It went from India to Ethiopia. It was the biggest kingdom in the world at that time. And uh, the queen was called by the king to come before him, and she decided not to come. Now, let's don't get into whether that was right or wrong based on our, come on, what what about women's rights and stuff? It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with something different. The king said to the men, because she wouldn't come, who understood the times. See, that's critical right there. You have to understand the times that you're in is very critical because each person's time has different elements and different things going on for this was the king's manner towards all who knew law and justice. So the king, even though he was the sovereign over the whole nation, in order for the nation to function, there was laws and justice. So if the king called you, you had to come. And if you disobeyed the king, it wasn't that you were violating the king, you were violating the law and the people themselves. So That's the scope of sovereignty. And just like God, when he created, he put laws into effect. He sovereignly created everything. He's sovereign over everything. But then there's laws that he said he won't violate his word. So in a sense, he binds himself to his own word, even in his sovereignty. And it's very similar in the picture here with the king of Persia. So we fast forward. um, He's going to bring in a new queen. So Esther's brought in. She's brought in as the king's concubine. and talk about a not a good life. So people say, you know, I have a dream. I'm here for such a time as this. Yeah, but the journey to get to that place of being at such a time as this may not always feel very positive. Just a little side note, but it brings you to an amazing place. Just like Joseph was called to be the, ru- the basically the ruler of Egypt, and he started out through a slavery journey. So your journey, what's happening to you now, is not necessarily God designing you. It's Bringing you to the place, and unfortunately, sometimes being brought to the place of your most influential, critical moment doesn't always feel well. So don't measure what's going on around you from a negative aspect. Uh, That's a side note to this whole journey for a separate podcast. The bottom line is she's finally the queen, and she has this opportunity that uh, there's this man named Haman, he's about ready to kill all the Jews, and he has a decree signed to kill all the Jews in Persia. He hates them. And the king, he, he manipulated the king's thoughts. Now, Haman carried something very interesting. So the king was the sovereign over the land. His word was law. That's That was the sovereignty. But Haman was given the ring of authority. So authority only works if you're under something sovereign. There has to be a higher power for your authority to actually work. So because he was under the king, and was given the signature ring, anything he decreed and signed with the king, signature ring, was the law of the land. And no longer did you see Haman wrote a new law. It was the king put out a new law, even though it was actually Haman who architected the law. I hope you can see that picture there. It's very important as we play into this. But once the decree is made, it was the king's law. So now it was sovereign under him, even though he didn't author it, but the one who had authority authored it. So now we have this decree on a certain day, all these Jews are gonna be killed. Well, short story, uh, long story short, Esther gets to the point, Haman is killed, uh, all of Haman's household was given to Esther, Mordecai is brought in, brought in as a chief advisor to the king, and it looks like everything is grand now. The problem is the decree is still in effect because the king cannot change his word. So the Jews are still going to be killed on that day. And this brought us to a critical point where Mordecai goes to Esther, says, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. In other words, just because it's good for you right now, and you're not under any pressure because you're loved by the king, don't think that if you don't do something that you won't be affected. It says in verse 14 of chapter four, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance, we've talked about that before on another podcast, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I think there is many people that are here in a time and space. Now this does not mean when I'm talking about this crisis, there's no deliberate threat towards an individual or to a group of people. This is um, this is like a something that is has no care to who it affects. But in the in the same sense, there's a crisis going on to a people. And this can happen with the the virus, it can happen economically, in the future it could be a new uh, it, it could be anything. But just, just think that you're here for such a time as this. So she didn't want to, but then she takes time, they pray, and they prepare themselves. And she said, I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now, here's the cool thing about a law. There's something that overrides a law, and it's called grace. Grace overrides that. So there was a law that you did not go before the king. But if the king extended his scepter to you when you entered his courtroom, you had grace to come in and speak. If he did not reach out his scepter, you were killed. I think this is amazing as a believer. That Jesus broke down that hostility and we can boldly come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and strength in time of need. We don't have to fear whether the king's gonna hold out his scepter to us, whether God's gonna accept our plea or not accept us. Once we believe in him, he's accepted us and the scepter's been extended. So this this picture of grace overrides what the law was. I think that's just really an, an, amazing, an amazing picture for you to grab a hold of. There's so much in this. But I want you to catch this. So she goes, he he has favor with her, and it says, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. What do you want? Think about that. You can have up, up to half, anything you want, up to half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. So she tells about Haman and what his plot was and that the Jews are going to be killed, and it and it, it angered him. He was angry at this because he was manipulated or he was a decree was sent out without... All the truth and out all the concepts, but he couldn't take back the decree. So here's what her prayer was. And I think as Christians and believers, we find ourselves right here with the prayer. We know God will hear us. We know for the most part, we know God will answer our prayer. He wants us to pray to him. And we wonder why he doesn't answer. It's because the, re- the answer doesn't fit the request. Let me show you what I mean. She says this to the king in verse 5 of chapter 8 if it pleases the king, and if I found favor in your sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes. I love that. How many times? God, if I've done everything right, if my heart's right, if if it's your will, if it's all these things, like we we have all those prayers, we we bring all that before, before the king. Let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of... Uh, I don't do well with this pronunciation Hamadatha the Agite anyway to Haman which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in the king's provinces and we have an enemy on the we have an enemy the devil that is going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour we have something that's against us it may appear naturally it may be done through people it may be done through actions and decrees But be aware of who the author of those things are. The same way the king had mercy and wanted to protect the Jews, he also had someone in his court who devised a decree that was hurting people. So there's things that go through. There's laws that have have been done naturally, spiritually, that weren't for the best interest of us, but they were used against us by an accuser, which was Haman, or the typology of Haman. And, he's, and she said, for how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? And the king said to Queen Esther and Mordecai, indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman. What does that mean? I've given her the authority and the power of Haman. The same way when Jesus went to the cross, he did not say the law was unholy. He gave something that fulfilled that law and wrote a new decree. He wrote something new. A new house was formed. This this picture in here is just really amazing. And so I've indeed given Esther the house of Haman and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay hands on the Jews. You yourselves, now this is the answer to the prayer. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews. So there was a scope to it. So the relationship that Esther had with the king is where the power of the authority came from. It wasn't that she just decided to do her own thing, write a new decree, and they tried to sneak in a new way to save the Jews. She went to a relationship that she was put into that had the sovereignty over her, and that sovereignty gave her the authority to write a new decree. The same way when Jesus, we come to Jesus, he tells us who we are. He tells us the authority he's given to us. And then he wants us to believe it and act on it. That would be executing the decree. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please. In the king's name. Where have we heard that before? We pray something in Jesus' name. It's not a closing. It's not a benediction. It's not a way we start a prayer just to hopefully God will now answer it because I've invoked his name. No, you're coming into agreement. In Jesus' name, let this be done, amen. So be it, the stamp of the signet ring. Now we start walking that out and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke, which is why he couldn't revoke Haman's. So the answer to that is write a different decree, put in a new covenant, a new testament, a new thing that would override this other thing. So this is pretty amazing. So this they got a decree, but you know what? It still didn't free the people because Haman had already put into action that his people would be destroyed by this previous law, this previous act in the king's name. So how do you stop that? So what they did is they gave the people the power to stand up and stop anyone that would do them evil. Because if they were to stand up under the previous decree, the whole nation and the sovereignty of the nation would be against them. But if they can now have permission to stand up, they basically nullified the last decree. All right, so those people can kill the Jews. But guess what the Jews can do? They have full permission and right under the sovereignty of the king to also fight back and to defend themselves and to take out any one that would do evil to them. And verse 11, it says, By these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together, protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children, women, and to plunder their possessions. I know some of you are saying, oh, that's that god of the Old Testament. This was the king of Persia. We don't wrestle anymore with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world. And there's some people that buy into it, and we can talk about war and the relevance of that at this time. This isn't about being against a person. This is about being against the force and the decree that's been written against you. I want to kind of clarify that and put that into some kind of context. And here's what happened. Chapter 9, verse 1. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them... The opposite occurred. In the days that all of these forces in the crisis that you're in was meant to overpower you, the opposite can occur. Why? Because a decree was made. And I think there's something that we need to really grab a hold of that. But you know what? The king didn't just come and send a helicopter and rescue him. The king didn't say, okay, everybody, please leave him alone because that would have stripped them that would have actually made them less than what they were before. Instead, he gave them power. He gave them authority. He gave them permission to stand and be themselves. And it goes on, For Mordecai was great and throughout the palace, of, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai became increasingly prominent. Thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with the slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them but they did not plunder the people. They didn't do it for selfish gain. They didn't do it for anything else. And it says in verse 16, the remainders of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives and had rest from their enemies and killed 75,000 of their enemies, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. Here's what I'm trying to get at. When we're going to God to pray over a situation, consider the times we're in. This was the time of an Old Testament story with a Persian king, but the picture is different is powerful because it lays out what we've been given as believers in Jesus Christ. That's why he says, "Take my name. I've given you authority." That's why in the story of the the certain man who had the prodigal son and the and the other son that wouldn't leave, what was the first thing he gave back when his son came back? The father gave his son favor and then put the, the ring on his finger, which was the ability to make decisions on behalf of the household and the robe, and he killed the fatted calf. Grace brought him into a position so he could have the authority to function in the world around him based on the sovereignty of the father's household. I really want to lay out in this that, that can be seen, and there's just such amazing parallels, but I don't want this to be a, a two-hour podcast what the amazing the thing i really want you to get a hold of when we're dealing with a crisis a lot of times we want to kind of run we've we've been away from quote unquote fellowship or we don't feel like we've read the word enough or we don't feel like we've prayed enough and why is god doing this why isn't god answering me i'm afraid i'm weak i'm feeling little i feel like the decrees around me have been written against me right That's kind of what it feels like. You're being squeezed. And Jesus came to the Pharisees and he says, and the father himself who sent me has testified of me. This is in John chapter five, verse uh, 37 and 38. And the father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you. And the word abiding is that dwelling. It's a part of you. Just like when Esther heard the word from the king, that was a part of her. It wasn't like something distant. They, She knew, had a relationship with the one who was decreeing it. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. How many times do we do that? Oh, we're in a jam, so we start reading the Bible. We're just going to read, we're going to read, we're going to read, we're going to read, and, and there's nothing wrong with reading. But somehow you think there's a formula of eternal life from reading it, or even memorizing it now there's a power there i don't want to i don't want to say don't do that cuz you need to do that but you're if we do it from the perspective that it needs to be so he said you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life but they are which testify of me but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life why aren't we willing what was the picture there because we've judged ourselves disqualified, unworthy, or victimized by what's going on around us so we don't go to him. It's the same reason why Esther was hesitant to go before the king. She was hesitant. She knew the law. She knew the scripture. She knew how everything was to work. But she went in grace and stepped before the king and found something powerful. And I think that's where we need to step aside of what you think brought you to the situation or to judge All the things that you could have done better and prepared for this and done this or handled this better. And what if I would have done this? And what if I would have done this? Maybe this is what God is trying to teach me. And we go through that whole rhetoric. Stop it. Just go before the king. Step and say, here I am. This is what I am. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And you watch him extend the scepter. Then he lifts you in the authority to deal with this from the mindset that he has his power behind you. Now, what is that going to look like? Does it mean the enemy is not going to come? No, the enemy is still going to come. Does it mean that that uh, a temptation to be fearful and anxious and worried because you lost your job this week? No, it's going to come. But if we could catch the concept but I don't have to be subject to that law because there's another one. I'm going to stand and be me, and I'm going to stand in who He is, and I'm going to stand in Jesus' name, and I'm going to go out in the day in the manner that is beneficial to the whole society. All right, let me just say, not for your selfish interest and not to prove you're something or not prove you're something. We talked about that on the last, last podcast, so go back to that one to deal with that. But you could stand with the situation as I'm not under. And there's hope because you have the sovereign one's grace to deal with this because he's given you the authority to walk in that. That's the perspective of Esther that we were talking about, Jason.
0: And there will be an aspect of fear to this. You're not going to be able to avoid confronting the fear of it. But the scariest part for Esther in this thing would have been stepping forward and asking for something from the king stepping forward in a way that she actually wasn't allowed or qualified to do because she hadn't been invited. And so I'm guaranteed there was a lot of fear going on in her in that moment. And I think for us that applies too. Maybe we don't think that God has anything new to say to us. So maybe we don't ask God, okay, what do you have for me in this crisis? Because we don't think he has anything different for us than he had 2,000 years ago. And I'm not trying to say don't go to the Bible to look for answers. That's, you know, I'm not a crazy person. There's a lot of answers there. There's a lot of words that are for us there. Hey, Jason,
1: if I can interrupt, if if, all... if I can interrupt on that one point, you need to know Scripture. But you need to know okay. the one who wrote the Scripture so the Scripture can give you the authority and the power and the fortitude and the resilience and the perseverance and the joy. But if you don't know the author of it, It's only gonna be empty laws. The point is you need to ask.
0: You've gotta ask the question. You've gotta go before your father and understand that he's with you on this process. And you're not going to feel great about it at the time. Maybe it's uncomfortable to do. Maybe you haven't done something like that before. But it's a very relational thing you have to start with. And it's something that stood out to me on this whole process is we're given a promise in, I think it's John chapter 16. Um, yeah, John 16, 13. It says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. Now that's, I mean, you can take that as like, oh, you mean I get to predict the future and all this stuff? That's not where it's going here. It says He will guide you in all the truth. And this is going back to what we said at the top of this podcast. You're not going to get Here's your step-by-step way to get out of the coronavirus panic. What you already have, since the Spirit of God lives in you, if you're a believer, is an internal spirit that's going to guide you in the truth if you just bring Him into that equation, if you bring Him into that whole conversation. So, okay, this is uncharted territory for all of us. What do you want me to do today? What's the step for me? What's the thing for me to focus on? What's an opportunity here? What's the word the decree, the law, however you want to put it, that you've spoken over me for me to be in this problem. And it's not as if he's waiting for you to overcome all the fear before you ask him to be with you on the process. He actually wants to be with you while you're confronting the fear. So don't feel like you have to sit back and, you know, motivate yourself enough to get up the courage to do something courageous and amazing before you bring God into the whole thing. He wants to be with you at your weakest moment to step into that, to ask the question, because that's how, that's how we're designed to endure a crisis and not to just endure it, but to thrive in it. I don't mean to be so cliche, but honestly, this is a pretty intense moment in history. And that's when great things happen.
1: It's tough not to be cliche. I got all these little sayings that I could bring out and, and to throw out, but I kind of, I have an understanding of where they're coming from, but I think um me and jason had talked about this before is how do we communicate who we are who we are to the crisis how do we communicate some of these truths that are applicable that you can you can tangibly work with versus just having new thoughts and new ideas and just trying to trying to have a different perspective only through learning and i think the biggest thing for me in, in, in reading this whole story and seeing all this was a couple main points that stood out. One, it described God's role. It had a picture of God's role in all of this. He is sovereign. He is, he, he is the master ruler. We know that. Um, well, not everybody knows that, but there's a truth to that. He's the creator of everything. But then he gives us authority over things, but the authority comes from the relationship that we have with him. And so as the relationship forms, you understand his concepts, you understand his thought processes, but then he gives you authority. And I think a lot of times we get stuck trying to ask God to do something for us, and he's so merciful. He'll he'll find a way to do it, but in the end, you'll still have to be coming back to that point constantly versus, Father, we need help in this situation. How do we navigate this? There's things that we need. I got to take care of my family. What do I do about work? What do I do if someone gets sick? How do I respond to all that? And in that relationship, he starts showing you truths from the scripture, which now is where it ties into what you know about scripture is going to be helpful. But even if you don't know the verse, the spirit of God can open your eyes to ideas in many different ways to show his, his thoughts and his feelings towards that. Now we walk boldly towards the problem with that versus We've gone to him for the mercy and grace to receive it. He gives us the authority, but now we're just not sitting there waiting for him to do something. If you notice the king of Persia did something, you know what he did? He gave them the authority to go deal with the problem. That was the answer. And the result of that freed the people. It brought relief by bringing hope that the king is for them. And it also bought deliverance by giving them permission to stand up. And what happened is inside the Jews, inside that people, rose up some, a group of people that the others became a fearful of because of how powerful they were. But they both had the same decrees. Those that were against them had the right to kill them, and those that were for them had the right, and the Jews had the right to retaliate. And it strengthened everything. And I think it's interesting that God's freedom lifts you to the position you were designed to be so you can deal with the life that's around you. And I, and I really want you to catch that. And every promise in scripture that he's given to us, that is our authority line, isn't to ask him if he'll do it. It's to say, okay, I receive it and start walking in it. And you're, and it, there is a fearfulness, just like Esther to go before the king. Remember, the last queen that disobeyed the king was killed. Was, we don't know what happened to her, but it wasn't good. That's why Esther was there. Now, for her to do a similar thing, it's a reverse, but she's still disobeying the king. It took grace stepped in. And I think since that has been bridged, that we have the grace of God to step into that moment, we can receive that promise and confidence happens. But you're going to have to step in with that promise into the world around you. And that's, I don't mean literally, if you're stuck at home, now go out and be anti uh recommendation. I'm saying you can face those things and those pressures from that perspective and you watch what begins to happen. Two things will happen. One, your relationship with him will radically change. You will have confidence to go do what you need to go do. And also the scripture will come to light in a manner that you've never seen before. And it's really a powerful thing. And all of a sudden the spirit of generosity can start flowing. The spirit of uh, compassion, hope, love, peace, all those things will flow from you because you are now secure. Not because you have a full bank account, not because you have 100% health, but because of who you are in the midst of that circumstance.
0: All right, we're going to wrap up this episode. We thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, We hope you're staying safe and happy and taking this opportunity when the world is changing and how people interact is changing to be really intentional about how you want to come out of this time of transition and everything um, hit us up on social media, comment on the podcast, visit the website, a lot of good material there. We have some new articles coming out and you can also sign up for the monthly newsletter. We have a lot of updates just with outbound life and things that are changing that uh, you can get plugged into every single month. So, um, we just want to leave you with this one thought as you go about your day. It's not the mountain that's in front of you. It's who you are to the mountain.